Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. No matter where you are in Canada this week, chances are high you are under some sort of lockdown restriction, which is making this April feel eerily familiar to last April, with kids at home and all social interactions cancelled until further notice. Thankfully, it's not Groundhog Day here at What She Said, and I have an amazing lineup of guests for you today, starting with Dr. Amanpreet Brar, who really wants you to know that although all of this may feel familiar, this is a brand new pandemic and the stakes are higher than ever. Dr. Brar has been an outspoken advocate for paid sick leave and joins me today to discuss the increased danger with the new variants, if current public health measures are enough, and the importance of staying at home. If you're waiting for the perfect time to pursue that new business, explore a new career, go back to school, or have kids, you may be waiting forever, and Mandy Gilbert doesn't want that for you. An author, speaker, investor, and CEO, Mandy believes the biggest obstacle in reaching our goals are the limitations we place on ourselves. And she joins me today to share some of her best tips for pursuing your dreams. Anne Brody is back with loads of new entertainment to keep us busy at home, starting with the absolutely can't-miss edge-of-your-seat action film, Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk. Also new is Kate Winslet in the new HBO Max seven-part series, Mayor of Easton, the hilarious Frank of Ireland on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus's Secret of Wales, and the can't-miss documentary MLK FBI, which explores the extremes of harassments of civil rights leader Martin Luther King by the Federal Bureau of Investigation Chief J. Edgar Hoover. Women going through perimenopause and menopause will completely relate to Dana Goldstein and her memoir, Murder on My Mind, which throws back the curtain on the most challenging years of a woman's life with humor and brutal honesty. Nutrition is key for a long life, and that means it should start in the womb. Food to Grow On is the ultimate guide to childhood nutrition and covers every stage from pregnancy to feeding babies and toddlers to packing lunches for school-aged kids. It covers both how and what to feed children in a relatable, humorous tone. Co-author Kara Rosenblum joins me to share what you need to know. Finally, I promised last week that I was going to end the next few shows on a mindfulness note to hopefully help anyone struggling through this third wave. Annabelle Fitzsimmons is the co-founder of Mind Management and provides no-nonsense accessible mindfulness and meditation techniques that can be easily incorporated into your everyday life. No incense required. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. The third wave of this pandemic is raging across much of Canada and lockdown fatigue has set in for many Canadians. But now, more than at any other time during this pandemic, the importance of staying at home can't be stressed enough. Dr. Amanpreet Brar has been an outspoken advocate for paid sick leave and joins me today to discuss the danger of the new variants, if current public health measures are enough, and the importance of staying at home. Welcome to the show, Preet. Thank you so much, uh, Candice, for having me today. So, I mean, it's fair to say that, you know, 13 months into this, people are are exhausted. So I want to really start off the top of this interview, though, with stressing why this is a different pandemic. Yes, absolutely. I I think I, you know, share all Canadians fatigue and, you know, healthcare providers and 
pretty much every Canadian at this point is probably, you know, stressed as well as, um, you know, tired of staying indoors. Um, and this has been a long haul. It's, it's been over a year now. Um, but I do really, really want to emphasize that this is a new pandemic, as many uh, medical experts across um, Canada have been calling it. Um, and this is largely because it's being driven by new variants, which are highly more transmissible, as well as pose a higher risk of hospital admission, as well as admission to ICUs and death. And we have been seeing that now play out, unfortunately, in Canada. We have been seeing that our ICU admissions have been rampant over the last, um, you know, just week. And uh, we are seeing more younger um, people getting admitted into ICUs, which is really scary. Um, and I think it's scary for all Canadians. And it's really a new pandemic. So do we run the risk as well if these if these variants run rampant? Do we run the risk of a new variant developing? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, it's really time. Uh, it's like a race uh, of variants against vaccination and how quickly we can control um, the variants, because as, uh, you know, a variant grows and increases, there's a risk that there's further mutations can occur and new variants can arise, which is very dangerous. And that's what's been happening uh, throughout this pandemic. And we have seen other countries really struggle with the new variants. We saw in UK back a few months ago how the B1117 variant there was rampant and caused a lot of morbidity as well as mortality. And, you know, really we need to take uh, public health measures urgently, and we need to control these variants urgently in Canada so that we don't run into the same situation. It's not just the risk of, you know, possibly dying, but there's new evidence out that the one in three people will have neuro long lasting neurological damage because of COVID. Are, is there anything else that people may maybe snap people to attention that they should know about? Yeah, so I mean, we don't know the long term effects of, uh, you know, COVID-19, the original strain, as well as the variant strain, you know, there's was some data that showed that this could, um, you know, cause compromise of uh, lung function long term as well. And it can cause long term symptoms such as shortness of breath, um, feeling fatigued and myalgias. And, you know, we're just starting to see that data emerge. So we don't have uh, yet data on what are the long-term effects of the COVID-19 infection as well as the variants. So it is a really grave situation. And, you know, I really urge all Canadians to take this seriously and really see this as a new pandemic that's much more deadlier. I'd like to talk to you for a minute about schools, if, if you don't mind, because I think as we're coming to the end of the April break, a lot of parents are wondering, are the kids in school? Are they out of school? Uh, I don't want to really address the that issue. I want to talk about, are they safe? Uh, what you currently see, are schools safe? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of experts specifically who have spoken re regarding um, school openings. And, you know, uh, based on all the medical expert advice, it sounds like schools were not safe. And that's why, you know, applaud the decisions, uh, for example, in Peel Public Health, where Dr. Lawrence Lowe had ordered Section 22 to shut down all schools. And then Toronto Public Health also followed the course. And so, you know, um, based on the data so far and the evidence so far, and our experts' um, advice, the schools were deemed not to be safe. And, you know, they were closed under Section 22, which is really appalling um, to hear that. What strikes me is, you know, if there is some sort of magic wand going over the schools, why we can't just put it everywhere? If, you know, if you can deem the schools safe, you should be able to deem everything safe. So it just doesn't line up. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me then about uh, working conditions then for, for people who are working in warehouses and factories, essential workers workers. Uh, what are we looking at there? Yeah, so I mean, I always say that, you know, when we talk about essential workers, and we talk about staying home, um, we're talking about pandemic, and we're talking about two groups, a group that is privileged. So I call them privileged essential workers, you know, um, that have paid sick leave, and sometimes they have the privilege to stay at home and work from home. Um, and then have the all the basic benefits such as paid sick leave, job security, and then on top, a lot of these privileged essential groups were also vaccinated, um, you know, first in the line. 
And then I kind of grouped the, I think we forget to often talk about the other essential workers who remain invisible in many ways. You know, these are the workers who are driving um, trucks across the border, you know, in places like Texas where the mask mandates have been lifted off, yet these drivers remained um, unvaccinated in Canada. You know, I talk about the taxi drivers who are picking up passengers, um, you know, sometimes from where the COVID-19 variants are entering our country. Like these are drivers who are literally picking up, um, um, you know, citizens where the COVID-19 variants are entering our border. And these drivers remained unvaccinated and had no protection, you know. And then I put also the factory workers and the food processing workers into these categories who are often working through temporary agencies, migrating between factories and plants without job security and paid sick leave. And I really think, um, you know, the pandemic has impacted that group the most. And that group has borne really the brunt of this pandemic. And we are seeing that now in the data that has come out of Toronto Public Health, as well as Peel Public Health and many other units, that it's really the low income workers where we're seeing the most cases, we're, we're seeing the most hospitalization. So the vaccination rollout then, you know, it, I see that it is starting to shift. They're starting to shift them to different workers. How could that be uh, improved, though, still? Yeah, so, you know, I was happy to see that because, you know, I, I mean, I wrote in Toronto Star about three months ago now that, you know, we should have prioritized these workers, um, you know, right away. They should have been first in the line. We unfortunately failed to do that, but I'm happy to see that now they are prioritized. Though I think, you know, our vaccination is not going to be fast enough. Um, to control workplace outbreaks. That's my fear. And so I think we need to do something more. We need to do more urgently to really stop, um, you know, the spread of the COVID-19 variants. And we're seeing that it's rampant in the workplace outbreaks. Um, so what we really think I need to do more is first, we need to really reevaluate what is essential. You know, so I hear policies like our announcements being made um, that we're going to make the non-essential items curbside only. Yet, you know, the manufacturing and assembling and packaging of those non-essential um, items continues in high-risk regions. And so um, we really need to reevaluate as a society what is essential during this health crisis. Um, and then, you know, we, if we are going to deem those services essential, then at the least we could do is provide those workers with paid sick leave, vaccination, um, and equitable vaccine access, as well as workplace uh, protection and job security. Okay, we don't have a lot of time left. I want to address one thing uh, with you, because I feel as I was walking around my neighborhood with my dog, I noticed a lot of people gathering in backyards. So can we address that, please? Is it still safe to gather outside? You know, I think given the spread of the variants and the situation we're in right now, where, you know, almost we've almost reached the ICU capacity already. The way I see it is, you know, I'm a surgery resident and you know, we're all hearing that, um, surgeries are being canceled, um, you know, cancer surgeries are being canceled, and that is concerning. Um, so we're already over the capacity, I would say, the fact that we've had to cancel uh, cancer surgeries. And so we're not in position where, you know, we can gather even outdoors. Um, we really need to take our public health measures very, very strictly and adhere to them um, as we ramp up our vaccination because at this point, we haven't caught up yet. And it's going to take some time to really um, ramp up our vaccination. And we need to uh, adhere to public health guidelines strictly to control the variant spread. I want to thank you for your continued efforts for sounding the alarm for sharing the science every day. If people want to follow along with you as I do, where can they find you? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Um, my account uh, is IPreetBrard, so uh, people can follow me there. All right, incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. My goal with this show is to empower you. 
My next guest, thankfully, also has the same goal. Mandy Gilbert is the best-selling author of Just Go With It, a book that shares how to navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. She is also a speaker, investor, founder, and chief executive of Creative Niche, a company that provides creative staffing and workforce management solutions. Mandy believes the biggest obstacle we face in life is the limitations we place on ourselves and joins me now to share a few tips for removing them from our life. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Thanks for having me, Candice. So the first thing I need to address with you is fear, because I think that is the one thing that holds most women back is, is overcoming the fears we internalize ourselves. Yeah, that's that's a big one to unpack. Um, I think um, a certain amount of fear can be an incredible motivator. It's when it, um, it prevents us from pursuing something that we really want to, to try in our lives or explore uh, because we're making assumptions, we get into this nasty cycle of self-doubt. Um, so for me, I think in terms of combating fear, when you're looking to change, make a big change in your life or try something, it's really understanding specifically what is causing that fear um, and understanding what you bring to the table, your strengths, what you've been able to come overcome thus far and accomplish in your life. Um, and, um, building yourself up and understanding specifically what's preventing you from taking that next step or moving forward. Where is that fear coming from specifically? Once you go through an actually great thinking exercise, um, it's incredible how much you can bolster your confidence and that can help push you forward. I love that you said thinking exercise, because this is a, an actual action we need to take because we can get in these cycles with things like with fear or self-doubt or anything, uh, negative self-talk, and it becomes almost like um, a snowball uh, effect, avalanche exactly. effect. You, it just keeps going. You need to step aside from it and, and really, like you said, think about it. So how do we learn then to trust our gut? Because our gut obviously gives us signs and cues as well of what we should be doing. Yeah, I actually write about that quite a bit because I went against my gut a tremendous amount of times and it's never served me well. So um, there's just something that we know we're incredibly intuitive and we tend to know whether something makes sense, are there flags, um, but we feel like we're too far in to, to pull out um, or reconsider a decision we might be looking to make. So um, I think it's, again, it's really important to reflect why are you making this decision? Um, you know, um, what is it exactly that's nagging you? And understand, um, is that just something that it's a self-doubt thing and it shouldn't have any strength or is it significant and it's not a great relationship that you might have in business or it might make sense for your career or you personally um, and really kind of honor your intuition and your gut because it's important. And when you I, ignore it, it's, it's tough. I, <laughs> to I think it's funny though, because intuition and gut feels a little woo woo sometimes to it people. Does right? They think, oh, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't jive with this world I've created that is, you know, factual and, 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 and orderly. And so I think that's something key is for people to get back in touch with their gut and to actually trust it. Like it is, it's, it's, it's built into us. Uh, it certainly is. And sometimes we can, in our minds, overpower it and just move forward with something, but there's something actually preventing for us from feeling like, safe or, um, you know, having a tremendous, a tremendous amount of confidence to move forward. So I think it's something to look at your gut and then look at logically what, what is happening? What are you about to enter? Um, or what are you in right now that perhaps is creating those emotions and feelings in, 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 with you physically? Um, and, um, and if you do that exercise and really, you know, spend the time and go deep, you're going to understand exactly what's preventing you and your body's just telling you in a different way. Um, anyway, that's my experience. Uh, so once, once we've overcome fear and we've addressed, you know, listening to our gut, it's time to start taking some calculated risks. Um, and so that probably brings about more fear again. <laughs> so how do we address that? Yeah, you know, some people are, um, are right into taking risks, some people um, less so. So understanding what risk you're taking um, and life is to be lived. And, you know, if we overanalyze um, every decision we're going to make in life, it's probably not going to make for an incredibly interesting one uh, that you're going to have great stories. So it's, it's evaluating the risk and what are the potential kind of worst case scenarios and best case scenarios. And, you know, are you set up for success taking this risk? Do you know what you're doing? Do you have a plan B in case something doesn't work out? Um, but, you know, I've been taking risks 
since a child. Um, and I'm somebody who's just drawn to risk, a certain level of risk, and some have really worked out for me, um, others less so. So I think it's just a matter of figuring out um, why you're looking to make a risk and, and what is your game plan. And in yeah. risks, there's learning, right? It's not about winning and losing. It's about winning and learning. And that is, the, if we can reframe it, we're like more likely to take risks that are going to benefit us. Well, that's my, that's why I wrote the book because I wanted to share that, you know, in social in today's times, you're just seeing the covers. You're seeing like people having huge success and these big influencers and people are living these incredible lives, but you're not really understanding the journey to get there. And a mistake and risks are part of that journey. And honestly, they provide the, the biggest learning opportunities um, for sure. So um, I say I'm all for taking risks. It's okay if you fail, you'll recover. You're going to figure things out. You've got to try. Absolutely. So I want people to find this book then. So where can they find the book and where can they follow you? Is there a place they can follow you on social media to keep up? Uh, sure. My handle is very niche. Um, I, my website is mandy-gilbert.com and you can buy the book on Amazon. Okay. The book's name again. So people can go search that oh, right now. Just go with it. Navigating the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mandy. Thanks for having me. Lovely to meet you, Candace. In my Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Ann Brody. And Ann, I want to go right to nobody because I don't even, I've never even heard of the guy who is starring in it, but it looks amazing. <laughs> Bob Odenkirk is a renowned comic actor and comedian. And this film is so far removed from what we're used to seeing him in. He plays a milk toast husband. He and his family live in a suburban house. The garbage truck's always passing him by and giving them finger. Anyway, um, his kids disrespect him. He's, he's just a bit of a loser. Well, the house is robbed one night and he lets the thieves get away with it. And the family, of course, is furious. So shortly after, he sees a woman being harassed on a bus by people who turn out to be the Russian mob. And his past comes back to knock them out of the picture. Well, he does that, and I, I won't say what his past is, but they, of course, come after him. So it's a long, long revenge chase uh, film that is really poignant. And the way his character changes, it's about his redemption in a way. Uh, Chris Lloyd is in it as his father. He, too, has a strange background. And I just want to add, like many of the great action films like John Wick, there's a little animal in this, a pet kitten. <laughs> Perfect. And that's so that's TVOD. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be it says select theaters, but I doubt people will be. Yeah, that doesn't theaters. really mean much these days. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, tell me about Kate Winslet. Oh, she's amazing in Mayor of Easttown on HBO Max. She plays a, a detective in a New England town and the weight of the world is on her shoulders. She's failed to solve the disappearance of a teenager. The mother has gone out to condemn the police force. <clears throat> She's in a custody battle. Her ex-husband has moved right behind her with his new woman. And it's it's absolute chaos. I don't know how she, she gets through it. She's just very strong-hearted and determined. So she has the weight of the world on her shoulders. And then another girl goes missing. So it's, a, it's complicated. It's beautifully complicated. There's a lot of meat on these bones. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a multi-episode series that you can really get your teeth into. Excellent. So you can either binge watch it or take your sweet time with it over the next yeah. few weeks. Yeah. All right. Uh, Frank of Ireland made me laugh out loud. Tell me about that. Oh, my God. So fantastic. Veteran um, Irish actor Brandon Gleeson has two very talented. Uh, uh, they're also veteran actors by now and very cute sons. Well, they put together a play a series on Amazon Prime about a couple of losers, millennial losers. Frank, played by Brian Gleason, lives at home with his mother. He's always trying to get his way, but he, he produces nothing. He has no income. Doofus, played by Domino, is his doofus, you know, gopher who helps him get through life. Anyway, they decide they're going to put on a play 
uh, called 12 Angry Women that they write themselves. But Brian gets kind of confused and he prepares for a few good men. And the lines and the gimmicks and the gags are just outstanding. That Irish humor comes through so beautifully. I love this series. Just literally just what we need uh, in this in this uh, continued uh, stay at home order. Uh, OK, MLK FBI. I think that this is uh, a must for people. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, this is I think this documentary is so important. Well, Martin Luther King preached nonviolence, um, civil rights. And uh, Herbert Hoover, who ran the FBI for 48 years, took a, a hatred to him and put him under surveillance and even went as far as to sending him an anonymous note telling him to kill himself. Um, yeah, just stunning. Anyway, all these documents were sealed at the time uh, of, of uh, King's assassination, but they were just recently opened and this documentary is based on those on those records. So it's really interesting and infuriating. And can you imagine how um, Hoover felt when uh, King won the Nobel Prize? So ta-da, <laughs> that's on TVOD. So for a little bit, you know, it is Earth Month. Uh, and uh, tell me about Secret of the Whales. Oh my goodness, it's so enthralling from Disney Plus and National Geographic. The, Brian Skelly, who's, who's spent 40 years and 10,000 hours underwater, went around the world shooting all the different kinds of whales. And there was this whale who circled him and looked at him and, and went away, got a manta ray, which is what whales eat, and brought it back and offered it to him. Wow. Incredible. And also I've discovered that uh, whales name themselves. They mourn their dead. They hand down information. They have culture and uh, special dialects. You'll just be blown away by this series, this series. So amazing. Okay. And just, we have, we have about 30 seconds left here. Antiques Roadshow's back. Yay! With Fiona Bruce. Yay! We love antiques, don't we? I do. I love, I just love watching people be surprised when they find out how much something is worth. I think it's so fun. Um, so for all of this and more, people can go to what she said talk.com where you keep this updated every week uh, oh, yeah. with new entertainment and, and your thoughts on them. So uh, thank you, Anne. Uh, we'll see you again next week. We will. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Menopause, as my next guest points out, only lasts a day. It's the before and after we need help navigating. In her latest book, Murder on My Mind, Dana Goldstein is throwing back the curtain on the most challenging years of a woman's life. Holding nothing back, Dana brings her unique sense of humor to her menopausal journey, sharing stories of hair growing where it shouldn't, erotic dreams that leave her shaken for days, and her struggle to stop herself from killing her beloved husband. Welcome to the show, Dana. Oh, thank you, Candace. I'm super happy to be here. I have to tell you, I read the title of this book and laughed out loud. I am uh, going through menopause. And uh, so I think about murder a lot. <laughs> right. It's completely common. Um, for my own journey, rage was the one symptom that I had the hardest time with, more so than the hot flashes. I mean, the original working title was Reflections from the Sweating Pool, which is any woman in this journey will completely understand. But I think it was the murder on my mind that really, really sealed the deal for me on what menopause from my point of view was like. So you sent me uh, a copy of the book. And in the very beginning, you said uh, you talk about your mother and and her experience and then you end it and you say i i wasn't going to make this a hell for my kids like my mother made it for me ah the lies we tell ourselves <laughs> so i think what made what what resonated with me is that menopause can be crazy making absolutely and most of the time we are not in control of anything 
that's happening. Um, you know, we're the victim of our hormones. If you are fortunate enough to be able to recognize what's happening when it's happening, then you can sort of steer your emotions uh, in another way. But it was hell for my husband and my kids. For six years, I was in perimenopause. I was forgetful. I was irritable. Uh, I was emotional for no reason. It was worse than either of my pregnancies. Now, when you look back now, uh, on the, you're on the other side of it. So when you look back, do you, do you think, what was I thinking that that's just insane behavior? Not really. Um, I don't think back to what was I thinking? I think back to, uh, I should have been able to recognize what was happening better at the time. Of course, you know, hindsight 2020, uh, we can look back and say, Oh yeah, that wasn't me. But my, my mistake was not expressing what was happening, not talking to my spouse about it and sort of just thinking that I needed to endure this on my own. And really the lessons I've learned now is that your partner or your spouse is the one who needs to know what's happening inside your head and with your body, because they're the ones who will be able to say, okay, hold on. This is not normal for you. You need to just, we need to figure this out and work it out together. I think menopause is one of the most understudied, misunderstood times in a woman's life. And I say that as somebody who is in it now, because when I hit perimenopause, you know, and start to look up some of these symptoms, there's so much conflicting advice and uh, information out there. Uh, where Do you have resources you recommend for people that you've found? You know, you're absolutely right. There are so many resources out there and there's so much conflicting information. And really, you, you should be able to talk to your doctor. You should be able to talk to your spouse. And certainly we need to talk to our girlfriends because they're the ones who are going to be more candid and open, we hope, with their own experiences. Um, there's a lot of different treatments out there. You just have to be prepared to try different things and find what works for you to get you through this, this perimenopause and to the other side. And as we've discussed, I mean, having a sense of humor about this is probably the biggest thing, which is why your girlfriends are likely key uh, in sharing, uh, you know, their own journeys through it. I mean, for myself, I'm having 10 to 20 hot flashes a day. What are some of the stories you've heard uh, about, uh, about women's, you know, journey through menopause? So I've, the, the rage is a common story. When I would talk about, oh, I could just, you know, my husband's just breathing and I could really just kill him for no reason other than he's just breathing in my space. And that would trigger a conversation about the rage. But a lot of my girlfriends had um, more than I knew had really traumatic uh, periods when things started going wonky and the periods were spaced out really weird. Uh, one of the women who I talk about in the book at 51 thought she was pregnant and did her first and only pregnancy test because she had been so on the clock. And then uh, the result was when she finally did get her period, it was like a murder scene in her bed. So it's, it's been horrible for some women. I've talked to a lot of women who say it's been a breeze for them. They've had one hot flash or no hot flashes. Uh, their moods have been good and stable. So there's really no regularity uh, to, anybody's symptoms. Everyone's going to have a completely different experience with this, but we need to laugh about it. Yeah. You know, and I think some of the stuff that contributes to my, my irritability is that, you know, my sleep is disrupted. Um, you know, my hormones are all over the place. It's creating this, you know, I feel like I'm living through the teen years again. And the crazy part is I'm living with two teenagers. You know, it's out. You're hundred percent right about it's like being a teenager because at this stage in life, I still get acne, or I started to get acne again. I got wrinkles, I got gray hair, I have so much self doubt some days. Um, and the anxiety that that I've never experienced until I was in this perimenopause, like the scenarios I come up with in my head, are crazy, like my kids will go, who are teenagers, totally capable, they'll go ride their bikes and encounter a cougar in the middle of the city that will tear them to shreds. It's irrational. 
and there's there's certainly there's nothing rational about menopause for women who are have have crazy symptoms. Uh, so was there a moment that you thought I have to put this down now? I I need to write about this. It actually creeped up on me uh, last year, uh, early last year, about January, February. I started writing the book in April uh, because. I just was looking for my next project. I had published a a memoir in 2018, was thinking about the next project, and it just sort of came to me in a, probably a hot flash (laughs) that, oh, and probably in the shower where a lot of good ideas come, that, oh, you know what? I should really share my experience with menopause and be, I'm very candid. There's some uncomfortable subjects in there. I talk about the entire body from head to toe, inside and out. Um, And it just, it dawned on me that part of my skill as a storyteller is being completely transparent about all the things that happened to me during the perimenopausal journey. So, you know, a, a lot of women are listening to this and they're probably nodding their head thinking, oh, I can totally relate to this. Are there groups, support groups you found that you would recommend women uh, seek out? You know, there's quite a few Facebook groups uh, that you can get support from. Some of them are uh, very American based, but still the conversations are happening in there. There's uh, a group out in BC that has a Facebook page where women talk very openly about menopause and what they're experiencing and asking questions. And I feel like there's a lot more groups popping up on social media with women who are talking about menopause because it doesn't just happen in the 50s anymore. Well, I think it's because we're we're shaking the stigma attached to menopause um, like our, our mothers did. My mom never talked about it. I mean, she would be having a hot flash melting in front of me and wouldn't talk about it. That's completely common. None of our mothers talked about it. And even even today, if we ask our mothers, they kind of, I don't remember, or they, you know, they sweep the topic under the carpet. They're not comfortable talking about what they went through. They certainly were not talking about it at the time when they were going through it. So where can people find your book then, uh, Dana, if they want to read it? And where can they follow you on social if they want to follow along? So the book is available um, on Amazon. Kindle, Kobo, Nook, Barnes and Noble, Chapters, and some independent bookstores in Calgary specifically. And you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, Dana Goldstein or Dana Goldstein Media. And my website, super easy, danagoldstein.ca. Wonderful. Dana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candace. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Baby, how you feeling? Each other's shadow, we grew less and less tall. And eventually our theories couldn't explain it all. And regarding our history now on the bedroom wall. When we leave the land The link between health and nutrition is clear, which is why it's so important that proper nourishment starts at an early age. Food to Grow On is the ultimate guide to childhood nutrition and covers every stage from pregnancy to feeding babies and toddlers to packing lunches for school-aged kids. It covers both how and what to feed children in a relatable, humorous tone. Joining me now to discuss is co-author Kara Rosenblum, a registered dietitian, journalist, and nutrition educator. She is also the founder of the nutrition communications company, Words to Eat By. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you. So raising healthy eaters starts in the womb, right? It really does. Right from pregnancy. We know from many years of research that you food, the foods that you eat during pregnancy influence both the healthy outcome of the pregnancy as well as what children eat as they grow. So what are the type of foods then that you recommend moms to be are, are, are getting a lot of? Well, the cool thing is there's not really a pregnancy diet. Everyone knows there's a few lit foods that you can't eat. 
simply due to the risk of foodborne illnesses. The last thing you want in pregnancy is to get food poisoning as well. So we need to be careful of things that are raw or undercooked. But in, in terms of what you should eat, it's basically your normal diet. In the second and third trimester, you have to increase calories a little bit, three, 400 calories more a day, just to support the growth and development of the baby. We also recommend ensuring you get enough folic acid throughout your pregnancy, usually through a supplement, as well as omega-3 fats from low mercury fish or from a supplement if you're not a fish eater. All right. Excellent. So, you know, the next point here that we're, we're going to talk about, it's funny because uh, I breastfed one child until about uh, nine months or so. Uh, and my second child was not having any of it. <laughs> and I have always felt like the conversation was very polarizing. What are you, what's your view on feeding baby? We're really clear in the book that fed is best. Not breast is best, but fed is best. And we know breastfeeding comes with wonderful benefits and not everybody can or chooses to breastfeed and that's okay. And I think we're normalizing that um, to know that if a mom is very, very stressed with breastfeeding, that stress can actually make things worse and formula feeding can raise healthy children as well. So fed is best is definitely our motto. And, you know, we have to leave the judgment on moms about this out the door there. Nobody needs that. Uh, you know, especially, uh, when you're caring for a baby, we don't need judgment from other moms. Um, can we talk about iron then? Because I feel like this is something that, um, a lot of moms, moms to be probably don't understand enough about. Yeah. Iron is, um, one of the first foods uh, that babies tend to fall short of. And that's simply because once they reach around that six month mark, when we start to introduce solids, the iron stores that they've had since birth have really depleted. And it's the first nutrient we want to make sure that they really get enough of with solid foods. So I know my kids are a little bit older now, they're 10 and 14. And back in the day when I had to introduce solids to them, it was all about baby cereal. It was about the most um, flavorless, bland sort of thing but the, it was always important that it was iron rich. Nowadays, feeding guidelines have changed a little bit and you can still introduce iron enriched infant cereal like infant oatmeal or infant barley as a first food. But now the guidelines say that iron is so important. You can even introduce something like pureed beef or beans or lentils or eggs or anything that's an iron rich food can actually be the first food. It could still be cereal, it could still be fruit and vegetables, but you want to make sure that babies after six months are getting several servings of iron rich foods in their diet every single day. So do you have uh, views then on the clean plate club for older kids? I do. And we're uh, Sarah and I are not fans. Sarah's my co-author on Food to Grow On and we're not fans of the clean your plate club simply because a, a, the role of the child in feeding is to determine their own appetite. And babies are born with an intuitive um, ability to know when they're hungry and know when they're full. That's why when you're breast or bottle feeding, you'll know when to feed, the child gets fussy, the baby gets fussy, and you'll know when to stop because they turn away. They, they intuitively know. This doesn't really change as they grow until they're about four or five years old and external factors come into play things that cue them to eat more, um, TV commercials, friends, stuff like that. So intuitive, intuitively know, they know how to eat. So if you as a parent are overriding that and telling them to clean their plate, they're not listening to their own appetite and it could lead to lifelong overeating. So it's important to watch that and maybe to not introduce the foods that are going to compel them, like the things that are high sugar and high salt that will encourage them to eat more, right? Well, there's room for everything in the diet. We always are kind of a whole foods first. So more fruits, vegetables, and, you know, meat, chicken, fish, eggs, beans, nuts, seeds, the whole foods rather than the ultra processed or fast foods. But certainly if you start to put foods on a pedestal and make kids think some foods are good, some foods are bad, they're going to want more of the bad food. So even playing field, make all foods equal, just serve a little bit more of the whole foods and fewer of the ultra processed foods. I love it. Okay. So if people want to find the book then uh, to learn more, where can they find it and how can they connect with you? So Food to Grow On is now available everywhere books are sold. You can get it on Indigo, Amazon, or anywhere else. And we have a lovely Facebook support group at Food to Grow On support group. And you can also visit foodtogrowon.com and order the book from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. Both hands. Now you both hands. 
more with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Meditation and mindfulness are often dismissed as woo-woo, but they may be just the key for you to move through this chaotic world in peace. My next guest, Annabelle Fitzsimmons, co-founded her company, mindmanagement.com, with partner Amy Brown in 2017. Together, they provide no-nonsense, accessible mindfulness and meditation techniques that can be easily incorporated into your everyday life. No incense required. Welcome to the show, Annabelle. Thanks, Candace. It's so good to be here. I'm so glad you said no incense required. I think that, you know, there's still people who hang on to this idea of mindfulness as this, you know, sort of out there uh, practice. It's really not. No, it's not. I think uh, if you look at the definition simply, it's basically a moment to moment awareness of your present moment, your feelings, your emotions, your sensations without judgment. And I think the the rap it gets sometimes it's for a long time, it was all, all considered a contemplative practice. But since the mid 90s, we've been getting a lot of scientific research backing it because we have the ability to scan our brains, right functional neuroimaging. So we're able to see and prove so we come from a science based application of it. So it actually is helpful to our brains and we can manage our mind and manage our thoughts and who doesn't want to be empowered by the fact that we can actually make things better in our day to day well let's talk about a couple of the myths then surrounding it one of the Mm -hmm. ones i think that a lot of people think is that you have to be sitting still for it that's a great yeah there's so many myths and one is yeah I need to sit still to meditate or be mindful. Mindful movement has had a huge uptick in the last few years. Yoga is considered a mindful movement. So really anything where you're aware of your body, I actually found it really hard when I first trained as a yoga instructor and meditator to sit. And so I would do walking meditations and I'm a long distance runner. So I would find meditation in in my running. So anything that you're doing and repetitive that involves connecting and being aware of your body and your breathing can be considered mindful movement. So yeah, moving, um, moving through meditation, you can cycle as long as you're aware of your surroundings, you're not gonna be running, <laughs> like tuning everything out. So it's a, a about being aware as you're going through it. So what would you say to people who say then I can't turn my brain off, I don't know how to quiet my mind. If that's a huge misconception, I think as well is that we need to have our mind clear. And I hear it all the time, my mind will never be clear. Well, that's great. Because if your mind wasn't clear, or if your mind was clear, you'd be dead, to be quite honest, like our our brain is programmed, we're designed to think as humans. And we have approximately 60,000 thoughts going through our minds every day, someone like me might have 80, right? Like there's, there's a lot of thoughts. So it's where we hang our attention or focus. So if you think of it, like clouds going through a sky, our mind is the sky, it's always there, it's always blue. And there are clouds and weather systems that go through it. But if we hang our thoughts or our focus on like a storm cloud and we travel through the sky with that storm cloud, we're going to feel stormy. But if we just allow the clouds to pass through, that does bring us back to a state of calm. So it's not about having a clear mind. What it is, it's kind of the Marie Kondo decluttering the mind. So it's flushing all the extraneous noise that we trap ourselves in, like worries about the past or the future and bringing us back to being present and here and seeing what's right in front of us. And tell me then about the, the importance of focusing on the breath. I think that's another thing that people get hung up on. They get hooked on that. Um, but I found since I you know, started practicing mindfulness and meditation myself that I really can focus on that breath anywhere I am at any time. And it can pull me into a moment. And I think that's the beauty of it. The breath really is the foundation of all meditation and mindfulness practices. So when you're connected with your breathing, and you're breathing deeply, you're calming your central nervous system, you're bringing yourself into the present moment. And I always joke that my mom's um, advice when I was a kid, take 10 breaths and like go and count to 10. And 
it's that's really it's so powerful because you can't actually be angry when you're breathing deeply you can't overeat when you're breathing deeply so the, as as the foundation of all practices just a simple act of breathing and this comes back to like feeling people feeling like oh i can't access meditation i can't access mindfulness well if you can stop and take 30 seconds to take a pause and take a few deep breaths you are practicing it and you're bringing your body into a state of calm or you can bring your body back to a state of calm and neutrality more easily. And the whole, the whole goal of this is to create self-awareness, right? Which is really the key, I think, for a successful life. The other day, my daughter was talking to me and she said something and I teared up and I had to hug her. And I said, I'm so impressed with you right now because this will carry you through life. It was such a moment of self-awareness. And self-awareness, really, all of the practices uh, that surround mindfulness and meditation are being aware of how our thoughts affect our interactions and likewise, how our interactions affect our thoughts. And we are, there's so much going on in the world today. And I really want to address toxic positivity. Mindfulness and meditation doesn't make life rosy and, and perfect and happy. That is a complete misnomer. And ask my kids, I still get angry. I still get frustrated. I have all the emotions, you know, the gamut of emotions. But what it has definitely given me is a tool to bring myself to a place where I want to be. And it allows me to see patterns and, and be a, the awareness factor comes in when you start to notice, oh, I got really, that triggered me, that made me angry. And did I need to, or could I create a pause between that action and reaction? And I think the more we're able to meet ourselves where we're at, because right now we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially as women, we are juggling, as you've talked about so much in the show and, and help support people. We're juggling so many hats right now. And meeting ourselves where we're at today might look so different than two years ago, and it may look very different tomorrow. So one day my kids are at home, they're both virtual schooling, and the, the dog's here and it's chaos. And then the next day they're at their dad's and the dog's at the dog sitter, and I have a bit of calm so I can take advantage of focused time. But whatever your circumstances are, knowing what you need, little pockets, little 30 second breathing breaks, brain breaks to let yourself rest. That's not doesn't mean you're being lazy, doesn't mean you're um, dropping the ball on things, just meeting yourself where you're at, and giving yourself compassion. And knowing that we do, and this is empowering, as you say, for your daughter, and for I see it with my kids, knowing that we have a choice in the thoughts that we hang on to and the way we approach our problems. Absolutely. I love the realness you are bringing to meditation and mindfulness. I want people to be able to connect with you, Annabelle. So where can they do that? Um, we're at mindmanagement.com and that's M-I-N-D, mind, M-G-T.com. And you can find us on Instagram at mindmanagementofficial, M-I-N-D-M-G-T official. And I'm at Annabelle J. Fitz on Instagram. And you can find us at Facebook on Mind Management Official as well and LinkedIn under mindmanagement.com. So okay. we'd love to hear from you and really take a few deep breaths each day and meet yourself where you're at. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Annabelle. Thanks, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.